0: Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, Glad to be here. It's an honor and privilege to be here with you and open up God's Word together. Um, Obviously, very obviously, I'm not Pastor Nick. Um, Pastor Nick is actually away doing some important work and building up the next generation of preachers and teachers to uplift God's Word. So we want to sustain Nick and Amy and the children and their time apart and his time away. And so bless him and Amy uh, in this time. But it's good work. So Uh, That's what Nick is doing, so you have me here this morning. It's funny, yeah, thank you. Um, It's funny, actually. Uh, In the hallway, a few people before first service said, Oh, they're going to clap for me when I come up, like Chris mockingly does when we do announcements. And it's just, remember, it harkens me back to the days when I was understudy as a pastor. And I would preach once a month. Uh, And we had a wonderful pastor who preached regularly. He was a six foot six Jamaican with deep Jamaican accents and great pulpit presence. And then I come up on the last Sunday of the month, you know, as myself. And inevitably, every time I preach, the week after, someone would come up to me and say, hey, Marty, I heard you preach last week. We saw that, and we just thought we'd take that Sunday the opportunity to go visit another church. I hope you're not offended. (laughs) And I sat there and smiled, of course, thinking, how could I not be offended by that? So uh, thank you for coming. Yep. And when you're in the hall next week, listening to someone say that exact same thing to me, you can just nudge (laughs) me as you walk by. Uh, But do thank you for coming. We're here today to open up God's Word and to be edified by Him through His Spirit, and we're grateful for that. And one tone and posture we want to have throughout this series is not just to rethink our favorite Bible verse, but set the understanding that without God's help, we cannot understand any Bible verse, okay? And so... That's why we start each time we preach with prayer. Because it's God who will open our blind eyes to the true depths of his riches and his word. And so let's go to God and ask him to bless our time. Father God, we do thank and praise you for who you are. We thank you that you're a wonderful God. We thank you, Lord, that you've blessed us by revealing yourself, your will to us. Through your word, through your spirit. And that we have your scriptures. We thank you, Lord. We have the freedom and the time and the space To open up your word and we ask, Lord, that you will bless us this morning with faith, with understanding, with repentance so that we may glorify your great name in all that we do, Lord. And we ask this and we love you, Lord. Amen. I will say I apologize beforehand. I have a little bit of a cold if I have to stop a few times and take a sip of water. So please bear with me on that. But this morning, our rethinking our favorite Bible verse is going to take place in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3 verse 17. So I do encourage you to open up the book of Colossians. I think you'll find it on page 981 or 982, somewhere around there if you're using a pew Bible. So do open it up. And the question we want to start with this morning is this idea of our favorite Bible verses. Why do we have favorite Bible verses? Now some verses we know of course come to us or stay with us because they, they mark a special occasion or a special relationship that has a special meaning. Maybe another verse sticks with us because, praise to God, we were saved by this verse. When we read it, God opened our eyes. And yet other verses stick with us because they give a great summary of what it means to live as a Christian. When the world attacks me and the world closes in and I have to make a decision to live for Christ, a verse sticks close to me and I can use it to fend off the devil, fend off the, 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 the thoughts that rush in. I can remember how God wants me to live. And I think really that's how Colossians 3.17 functions for us today. Let's read it. Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's a great verse, straightforward, right? No matter what we do in life, word or deed, thought or action, internal or external, everything we do is to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's a great guiding principle for life, isn't it? But what does it actually mean? How does it actually guide us? Tony Payne, in his book, The Thing Is, addresses a similar situation that we're in this morning. He says, rightly, Christians ask the questions like, what's the purpose of life? What's my meaning as a Christian? And many Christians will respond with statements like, to give all glory to God, or in all of life, I need to worship God, or to be a really good Christian. And Tony says, in my experience, these somewhat vague expressions don't always serve us well in the pressure and distraction of daily life. They're not sufficiently clear, or we have not clearly thought through what they mean. They certainly don't seem to drive our daily lives or make a difference to what we do if the lives of many Christians are anything to go by. I think that may be the case this morning with this passage. And don't mishear me, God's word is sufficiently clear... But as Tony says, perhaps we haven't thought through, in this case, what Colossians 3.17 means. What does it mean to have this as my favorite verse that guides everything in my life? I mean, certainly in everything I do, in word or deed, I do it in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to the Father through him. That is a great summary of how a Christian is to live. But what does it mean for us? So what we're going to do this morning, just spend a few moments unpacking it, filling it in and coming to hopefully a better understanding of that together as we look through the the book of Colossians. And I said earlier, it would be really helpful to have the book. We're going to be looking at many different passages in Colossians. So If you don't have it open, please do turn it open. So we have there in chapter 3, verse 17, our summary verse. And it actually is, our favorite verse, and it actually is a summary verse of many of the things Paul has been saying up to this point in the book of Colossians. So for us to understand this summary verse, we have to actually understand what Paul's doing in Colossians, okay? So Colossians really is a book, and you may remember this from last year, last fall when Nick preached through it, Colossians is really a book all about receiving the gospel message as truth, growing in your understanding of it, and adjusting your entire life around this new reality that Jesus is Lord, now, Paul had a much better economy for words, and so he uses imagery to help encapsulate this idea. He says that the Christian life is all about walking with Jesus as Lord. Walking in the Lord, he says. Now, look at chapter 2, verses five, or 6 through 7. Chapter 2, verses 6 through 7. It's a very helpful summary verse from which the whole book of Colossians flows out of. Chapter 2, 6, and 7. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See, the problem in Colossae is that Christians were confused about how to live as a Christian. There were some false teachers who came into town and and started to lure away some Christians, away from the gospel message that Epaphras brought to them, away from the original faith that they had stuck to. So in chapter 2, Paul addresses this false teaching. And then in chapter 3, he lays out the how to live type section. Okay, how are we actually to live as a Christian? And that's where we come to in our verse 317 this morning. But Paul is saying that you live as a Christian, that this is back in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, you live as a Christian just in the same way as you became a Christian. You became a Christian by repenting of trusting in your own ways. Repenting of doing the things that you want to do. And instead, you trust in the Lord. And instead, you do what the Lord wants you to do. And you follow his lead as your heavenly father and master and through his son Jesus Christ. You do that when you became a Christian. You did that when you became a Christian. And you do it every day as a Christian. It never changes. And just as the Colossians accepted the Lord, they are to continue to walk in him. Not down some other path. They are to grow out from the spot where they were planted, as 6 and 7 says. So if you're going to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to do it by walking in Christ. So we're going to apply this imagery of walking, and then actually the rest of the book of Colossians, to help us understand chapter 3, verse 17. So we'll work out a few ideas of what it means. And the first thing to understand is that to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ... We do it by walking in his cover. By walking in his cover. See, for us to, be, to do everything for Christ, we actually first have to be found in Christ. That phrase, in Christ, is all over the book of Colossians. In fact, it's all over all of Paul's letters. He's saying you must be covered by Christ. And you see it most clearly there in chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Look there at chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. For you have died... And your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. See, without Christ's covering, we're naked, dare I say. We're naked in our own works. We're naked in our own motivations. And we're exposed to the same fate of the world. And I have to be really clear with you this morning. No matter how good you think you are, or... Compared to the person next to you, not today, but just your neighbors in the general world, compared to them, you're you're not really that bad. The truth is, exposed to God, without the covering Christ, you are your true self, and that self is unacceptable to God. Look at chapter 1, verse 21, where Paul gives a sweeping blow to anyone and everyone who's not covered by Christ Chapter 1, verse 21, And you, you Colossians, without Christ's covering, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That's our natural self, without Christ's covering. And in chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says, Without God's rescue plan for us, we would be left. We would remain in the domain of darkness. So coming back to Colossians 3, Paul gives us very graphic language. To explain what it means to be covered in Christ. To be in Christ is to be dead, he says in verse three. Dead to a hostile, alienated life. So life as we know it, life is just a regular old human being trying to be as happy as possible, seek as much comfort and joy as possible and ease. That life must cease. That life's over, Paul says. You know, it's interesting, people, especially younger people, say Christians have no life. But verse 3 and 4 seems to say, without Christ, you have no life. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Without Christ, there is no life. But don't mistake me, the idea of being in Christ, the idea of being covered in Christ is not just a negative message. Look again there at verses 3 and 4 and how it works, the logic there. You have died, but now you have a new resurrected life. Reference back up there to verse 1. You have been raised with Christ. You have a new life that's hidden with Christ. One that's covered in Him, in His death, and in His resurrection. Paul, along with the rest of the Bible, makes it clear that on our own, we have no hope in this life or the next. But when we walk in the covering of Christ, when we walk in Christ, it means instead that all our sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven when we're in Christ. Being in Christ means that we have been credited with the obedient righteousness of Jesus Christ He walked this earth perfect and blameless. So as God sees us now this day, if you're covered in Christ, he sees you as perfect and blameless. When you you are in Christ, the punishment you deserve for your sin, your faults, your indifference to God, the punishment you deserve has already happened on the cross. It's done. It's complete. The wrath of God absorbed by Christ already finished on your behalf. When you are in Christ, there is therefore no condemnation. Because Christ deserved none of that. When you're in Christ, it means that you will be publicly received. When Christ comes again, visible to all, to receive all glory, honor, and splendor. And you will be right there with him to enjoy him and that forever and ever. Let me try to illustrate this. My friend in Australia, Rory Shiner, wrote a book on this topic, and I think he gets the illustration just right. He says, what does it mean to be in Christ? What does it actually mean? Let me try an analogy. Imagine yourself at the airport, about the border plane. The plane is on its way, let's say, to beautiful Hawaii. You're at the airport. There's you. There's the plane. It's ready to take off to Hawaii. And the question is, what relationship do you have to have What relationship do you need to have with the plane? Would it help, for example, to be under the plane? Would it help, for example, to be inspired by the plane? You know, you go to the airport and you watch it take off and you whisper yourself, Someday I can do that too. Would it help to actually follow behind the plane? You know, if you just get going fast enough and watch what direction it takes off, if you go fast enough and jump, maybe, perhaps. No. See, the relationship you have to have with the plane is not to be under it, inspired by it, behind it. The relationship you have to be with the plane is you have to be in it. Why? Because by being in the plane, what happens to the plane will also happen to you. And at the heart of the New Testament, the idea of being in Christ is something like that. What the Bible is saying that through faith in Jesus Christ, we become united to him. And as we are in him... Whatever is true of Jesus is also true of us. What's true of Jesus? Always honoring his Father, loving the Lord God, his Father with his whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, never sinning his entire life, raised for an eternal life of blissful, joyful existence with his Father forever and ever, and a new creation without sin. Or crying, or disease, or suffering? Do you want that to be true of you? Then you must be covered in Christ. You must walk in that covering. You must put your faith in Jesus Christ as your only hope for any and all things. Only as we're covered in Christ can we walk in Him. Paul says in Romans chapter 14 that anything that does not proceed from faith is sin. So even as Christians, with our best intentions, everything we do in word and in deed still is tainted with sin, self-interest. But walking in Christ, walking in his cover, allows my sincere but still fallen efforts to please him, to be totally pleasing to him, to be fully honoring to my Father in heaven, to be perfectly acceptable in his eyes. What a great joy that is, isn't it? What an assurance it is to know that my efforts are not wasted and God accepts them because he accepts them in Christ. We can only do all things in word or deed only as we walk in the covering of Jesus Christ. Well, The other thing we need to understand about Colossians to understand this passage is that We can do everything in the name of Jesus Christ only by walking in his character. See, Paul thinks it's essential to grasp this this being covered in Christ thing. To grasp it so much that it actually makes a difference in your life. And that's what the rest of chapter 3 is all about. See, he has this great theological idea in Christ, covering in Christ. But how does it work itself out in your life, Paul says? What difference does it make? Well, look there in verses 1 and 3, which we already saw. Verse 1 in chapter 3, if you are in Christ, you've been raised to a new life. So set your mind on things above. Verse 3, if you are in Christ, you have died to your old self. So stop living for earthly things. Paul says, since you've been brought fully into the family of God, start living like it. That's the difference it makes. It makes. And that's what verses 5 through 16 really detail out for us. This little section in Colossians is marked off by a series of put-offs and put-ons. In verses 5 through 11, we're to put off living according to our old life because it's dead. And we must kill what remains in us. We must kill what's earthly in us, Paul says. Sexual immorality, lying, self-sitterness, antisocial, self-seeking lifestyles. Put it off. It's no part of a new creation. And then in verses 12 through 16, Paul says, Instead, after you've put those off, put on the righteousness of Christ. Put on a new life. His new life. Walk with Jesus as your Lord. That's what it means to live in his character. To walk in his character. To walk as Jesus walked. Remember those bracelets, WWJD? What would Jesus do? Well, we don't have to guess. A good summary of it was right here in verses 12 through 16. How we relate to others, humble motivation, our willingness to serve, our willingness to forgive. A peace that transcends all of our lives. All the ways Jesus treated people when he walked on this earth, that's how we are to now live. As Jesus walked in love and patience and assurance and humility and truthfulness... So we are to walk in this same character. So then Paul arrives at his grand conclusion there in verse 17 and says, No matter what you do in word and deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do everything as he would do it. Put off your old life, put on your new life, be covered in him and live like him. So back to our rethinking, back to our misunderstandings about a passage like this. Sometimes I think when we hear a passage like Colossians 3.17, it may embolden us to, and energize us. Kind of like Philippians 4.13 did last week. You know, It gives us that energy to say we can accomplish anything if, and our goals and anything we want to do in Christ's name, we should do. But I don't think that's the point of this passage. I don't think the point of this verse is to give us a motivation to pursue our dreams and hopes and to do so with gusto. Because we come in the name of the Lord Jesus I don't know if you've heard this phrase. It's a, it's a ministry phrase, a church christian phrase. Um, and you know like most phrases and cliches that come up in the Christian life, they come as a reaction against the old ways of doing things. Well, it's thought that ministry, it used to be that ministry seemed to be constrained too much to the church building, to structured classes or groups. And this phrase came along and says, no, no, we've got to think more than that. We have to do life together. We can't just be Christians here at church on Sunday mornings. We have to live our entire lives together at work, at home, at the ball field, at the grocery store. We need to, if we want to grow as a Christian, we must all do life together. Right? Well, the Babylon Bee is a Christian satire news site. And the Babylon Bee has a wonderful way to poke a little fun at Christian when we have these helpful cliches, but maybe take them a bit too far. So the Babylon Bee is, makes up fake news stories to satirize Christianity. And this w- news story came out a few months ago called Doing Life Together. Kenosha, Wisconsin. Pastor Doug Gosport, 53, admitted that his recent forays into doing life together with people in his church and community were really just an excuse to do whatever he felt like doing. Sources confirm Monday. Frankly, it's genius, he says. As he hit the ball down the fairway at his golf outing, Normally he gets all sorts of flack from the family if you want to grab something to eat and just watch the game, you know? But if I tell my wife I've got some guys I need to do life with, she instantly approves. No questions asked. That's actually what I told her I'm doing right now, I'm doing this interview. So he stepped up and drove the, uh, the ball down the middle of the fairway and he goes on and says, so basically it's a ticket to do whatever I want, he said. I just call it doing life together and boom, I can do no wrong. I think this man, it's, again, it's satire, using this Christian cliche to justify doing whatever he wants is kind of how we use this passage sometimes. right? We want to do what we want to do, but we want to baptize it with Christianity. So we do it in the name of the Lord Jesus and we just keep on doing it. On the flip side, a horribly serious example a pastor friend of mine we were talking about this passage told me that he had someone in his office justifying in the name of Jesus his divorce because he knew God wanted him to be happy. This verse is not meant to be used like that. This verse is meant to remind us to put to death our ambitions and our personal aspirations for happiness and fulfillment and put on instead the aspirations of Christ. Put on instead the character of Christ and seek what he wants and the ways he wants us to seek them in love and kindness and self-control. Paul's saying that God, through Christ, has covered you. He has done everything for you. Now, do everything for him. Do everything like him. And let's not forget the end of verse 17 there. As we think about walking in Christ's character, as we do everything in his name. At the end of verse 17, it talks about giving thanks to the Father through Christ. See, when we try and toil and struggle to live according to Christ's character, I don't know if you're like me, but you realize how how often you fall short. Set your mind on things above. And five seconds later, anxiety rushes in. Greed, coveting gossip, whatever, flows right back in. And I realize even my best efforts fail and fall far short. We realize our best efforts will never please and honor God. And that's why we have to come in his covering and still pursue pursue his character. And when we do that over and over again, we remain grateful because we know he has covered us and we are blameless in his sight to the praise of his son, Jesus Christ. As we pursue the character and walk in the character of Christ, we must do so in his covering. And we must do so with gratefulness, knowing he covers us over and over again. See, we can do all things in word and deed. We can do all things in the name of Jesus Christ when we walk in his covering, when we walk in his character, and then when we walk with his convictions. It's just an extension of here of this last point I made. We must walk in the convictions of Christ. You know, like our pastor friend who did what he wants to do, really with his convictions, his priorities, his agenda, and baptize and bathed him with Christian language and Christian ideas. I think this is especially a case when we pursue agendas and goals in our life that aren't overtly sinful. You know, we pursue that promotion at work because it's obviously God blessing us. We spend hours and hours on our hobbies and our pastimes and all these types of things saying, well, God wants excellence from us. And if I'm going to do something, I might as well do it in the name of the Lord. I don't think that's what this passage means. See, I've heard that it said that convictions are things that you're willing to suffer and die for. Everything else is just opinions. What did Jesus suffer and die for? To seek and save the lost? To serve and not to be served? To do not his own will but the will of the one who sent him, his father? Are those convictions your convictions? They're the convictions that Paul shared and are reflected here in the book of Colossians. Look there back in chapter 1 verses 23 and we're going to just paint a few passages there to see how Christ's convictions comes through Paul. What drove Paul to do what he did? What drove Paul's daily, everyday existence? Verse 23, chapter 1. He wants the Colossians to stay stable in the faith, not shifting from the hope of the gospel which they heard. Verse 24. Paul suffers for their sake so that they will understand the wisdom of God. Verse 29. Paul Struggles and toils with all of God's energy so that, verse 28, he may present everyone mature in Christ. Chapter 2, verse 1 Paul has a great struggle for you and for all those at Laodicea and for all those saints that they may be encouraged, knit together in love to reach the riches of full assurance and understanding of the mysterious or that God's mystery, which is Christ. That's what drove. Paul, his conviction that he could do a lot of things in the name of the Lord Jesus, but there's nothing more important to do to seek and save the lost, to see people established in in the kingdom. We can do a lot of things for the Lord, but are the things we're doing, are they things that will last for the kingdom? Jesus knew, Paul knew, that things that last for the kingdom are people. All those other achievements... You know, all the things you work for at work, or your hobbies, your interests, they'll be burned up, Peter says. What will last through the judgment? What will last for eternity? What will last for the kingdom? Are you. you. Those around you. People. Body and souls for eternity. Those are the things that matter. So the question is, are you filling your life with things that will last for the kingdom? That's the conviction of the daily life of Paul, is that your conviction? Jesus' conviction was to come to seek and save the lost. Paul's conviction was to do the same and to see them endure in faith so they will come blamelessly into the kingdom. What's yours? Maybe you sit here and say, I want to bring glory to God in all I do, but what does that look like in the practice of your daily existence? Where do you spend your money, your energy, your time, weeks ago, Pastor Nick asked some very probing questions that still ring with me today. He asked us how much of our thought life and how much of our energies are spent on pursuing our own interests versus God's? Well, I think the same kinds of questions apply to us here this morning. How much energy do you spend lifting up the word of God, toiling for the sake of others for the sake of the kingdom, for things that will last? Loving others around you so much that you're thinking through how you can pray for them. Look at your prayer list. How much is your prayer energy spent on things of this world that will never last? Health? Finances? Instead, Paul ceaselessly prays for them that they may grow in their understanding so that they may bear fruit in many ways to the praise and glory of Jesus' name. How much of what you do flows from these convictions? Jesus had them. Paul had them. And Paul wanted the Colossians to have them. He wanted to have them for each other so they may spur one another on to love and good works. Look back there in chapter 3, verse 16. Chapter 3, verse 16. How are they to relate to one another within the structure of the family church? 3.16. Let the word of God dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Because that will last. And then towards outsiders, those not part of the church. Look down there in chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. Chapter 4, verses 5 through 6. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So whether insider or outsider, Paul says, the convictions of Christ, the convictions of me, Paul, should be your convictions. You could do anything you want in word or deed, and if you do it in Christ's covering, and you do it in Christ's character, it may be fine and well. But Paul is impressing upon us the priorities, if you will, of the kingdom. Are they are priorities. See, as Paul commended there in chapter 4 with the, the, the outsider's language, Paul knew that as we lived out our lives in front of others that we were doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Once someone knows you're a Christian, you are teaching them. You are building them up or down in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's what this passage this morning states. Everything you do in word or deed, you are in fact doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus. We are painting the picture of the invisible God for everyone to see by the way we live our life. Because as we go in his name, we present him. What kind of God is it that others can't see well they judge that kind of god they figure out that what that god is or who that god is by looking at his followers so no matter how vocal you are about your faith people are forming their opinions and they're forming their understanding of jesus christ and his name based on your words and your deeds people are subtly growing in their understanding for good or ill based on how you represent him by what you talk about but what by what you don't talk about, by your actions, your goals, your priorities, by what gets you excited, by what gets you mad, by how you react in stressful situations, by how you spend your money. Doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus is to commit yourself to his convictions to the rest of the world, not your own agenda. So yes, doing life together is very valuable, but it is never easy. Jesus pleaded and warned and was ostracized and was killed. Paul struggled and contended and toiled. All for the sake of others. All for the sake of one sinner repenting, so the whole throng of angels in heaven will rejoice. All for the sake of loving someone else so much that they will do the most, you will do the most important thing for them. Nourish them on the truths of God. Take a look at your life. Check your prayer requests. Check your energies, where you spend them. Do an audit on your life as Nick commended to us a few weeks ago. See what you find out. Are you walking in the convictions of the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you walking in your own convictions, hoping that they're Christian enough? See, we do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus by walking... In his convictions, and as we do that, we glorify his great name. The more people who come to see him as Lord, the more glorified his name becomes. As we conclude here, I want to put your eyes back on Colossians 3:17. I wonder what you thought of when you saw this passage, or maybe you've heard it before. Where where were your eyes drawn to? What's the thing that sticks out to you? If you're like me and I asked a few other people this week and Pastor Chris helped me out with this and most people I know, the focus of this passage to them is and do everything. What I hope for you this morning is that now the focus of this passage is instead the name of the Lord. That when you walk in him, That's where you live out your life as a Christian. That you will walk firmly and assuredly in his covering. That you will walk completely in his character. Representing Christ to the rest of the world as he would if he was here in the body. And that you would walk with his convictions. That things that will last are kingdom priorities. Set your mind on things above, Paul says. If we do these things in his covering in his character and with his convictions, then we indeed will be setting our mind on things above and we will be fruitful as Christians. We're going to close this morning by doing something a little bit different. Don't worry, it's not that different. We're going to close by saying the Lord's Prayer together. And the reason I want to do that is because the the Lord's Prayer, I think, wonderfully summarizes everything that Paul wants us to hear from Colossians 3. Because the Lord's prayer is saying, Lord, hallowed be your name. The Lord's prayer is praying for the kingdom to come. Where the Lord Jesus Christ's name, at the name of Lord Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue confess that he is Lord. That's what we pray for when we pray the Lord's prayer. And so I'll close in prayer and then in unison, we'll pray the Lord's prayer. We'll use debts and debtors. And my hope and my prayer for you is it's sincerely comes from sincerely from your heart and that will stick with you this week as you think about Jesus as you think about his kingdom and the priorities of his kingdom as you think about his covering his character and his convictions that you will stick with Christ and you will do everything word or deed in the name of the Lord and after I say amen you're more than welcome to leave and talk amongst yourselves and encourage one another to do the same let's close in prayer Father God, we are so grateful this morning that you are a loving and merciful God. We're so grateful, Lord, that you do not allow us to stay where we're at or subtly drift back into normal, old life existence. We're grateful, Lord, that you stir us up through Paul, through the book of Colossians, so that, Lord, we do everything to represent your name fairly and wonderfully Because you're a wonderful God. Lord, I pray that anyone here this morning who's not sought cover, who's not run to you for cover, but still trying to make it on their own, Lord, I desperately plead on behalf of them that they will do so now, indeed do so now. I pray, Lord, for those who are already in your cover, that we will remain steadfastly in it, knowing, Lord, without your cover, we are just left to our own, naked and exposed. Lord, I ask that you will keep us firmly in your gospel. Let us not waver to the left or to the right. Lord, I ask you, Lord, that we will represent your great name by walking in your character. By living as you would live. Not seeking our own agenda. Not seeking what's best for us, but for those around us for the sake of your kingdom. Lord, I ask that you will forgive us of the many times we fail, woefully fail, to represent your name whether that's just with one person or many around us, whether that's at home by ourselves or at work, we pray, Lord, that you will change us and transform us so that we will set our minds on things above where you are. Lord, I pray that you will kill our old selves and put to death what's sinful remaining in us. And that, Lord, instead, I pray that you will continue to transform our character so that we will indeed walk faithfully in you, And, Lord, we thank you for giving you this this great prayer we're about to pray. May it, Lord, resonate with us all week. May we say it, Lord, with sincerity. May we say it with expectancy, Lord, that indeed we do want all these things to happen. And, Lord, in unison, may, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we say this together in one accord. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done